Welcome back to the Blake Street Tavern. I am here with the guys. We are here for the Buff Stampede Radio Around the Horn Edition. We're doing football this time, guys. And I'm pretty excited because this time I don't have to actually argue about football. I don't have to beat you guys uh, to a pulp like I did last time in the basketball edition. I get to simply moderate and watch you guys make fools of yourselves. So, Tyler Ziskin, Buff Stampede fan correspondent, is back. Adam Munster-Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com. And Ryan Konigsberg, junior writer of BuffStampede.com. <laughs> senior writer of BuffStampede.com here. Guys, we have a number of topics to cover uh, today on the football program. And here's how we're kind of going to do it. It's going to be similar to last week where we'll go through a series of three topics for the first word, and then we'll go to buy or sell with two topics, giving everybody a turn to kind of speak their mind. Then we're going to have the first cut. Somebody's going to get eliminated again, and I have a feeling who it might be yet again getting uh, hit first. And as I have on this production plan, it's the first cut and public shaming. (laughs) Then we go to our one-minute lightning round, one minute for each question, and then finally the showdown round. Uh, where points are going to be doubled, and then whoever wins gets two minutes of uninterrupted airtime. But judging on how I didn't go uninterrupted, I'll probably interrupt somebody today. Are we all ready, fellas? Yes. All right. Well, guys, we're going to start with the first subject on the first word. Talking Colorado football. Here we go. Was this year's Colorado football team measurably better than the 2012 version? The order we're going to go in is Adam Ryan Tyler. So, Adam, why don't you kick us off first? When you when you talk about a football season, and I think when we look back to this season, a couple years from now, you'll look at the record first and foremost, and that's really what – that's the bottom line. And the fact that they won four games, equaling the number of wins they had in 25 games under John Embry, that right there, boom, that, that, that makes a – a measurable improvement in your mind. When you delve a little bit further in that, I, I think when Mike McIntyre took over at his intro press conference, he talked about not going out there and putting your toe in the water. Were there times that happened this year? I think at Washington, perfect example, it did still happen. But by and large, I think UCLA was a perfect example of them going with the mindset that we can compete with anybody, our preparation, trusting in that. And then I, I think the other thing that you really look to in terms of looking at this season is, did they battle? Did they fight? Did they quit when they got down? And late in the season, that did not happen. You look at the USC game. You look at the Utah game. In the fourth quarter of those football games, they outscored their opponent 32-13 to 13 in those games. And I think that really shows the fight. And you talked about, and, and uh, after the Utah game, Mike McIntyre was talking about the fact that guys were crying in the locker room after those two games. And he said that was the first step for this program was, Guys expecting to win a football game, and they were able to achieve that first step for this program. I think in past years, you you kind of saw a a team that were willing to lay down when when things got bad, and you didn't see that with this football team. I think that's a huge measuring block for this team going forward into the offseason. Yeah, I think they absolutely are an improved football team, and I think 
uh, anyone that could argue any differently would have to be crazy. Um, you know, l like Adam said, you go, you look at wins. That's the first thing you look at when you measure a season. Well, they have four times the amount of wins they had last season. But I think bigger, it, it wasn't one of those things where every single play of every single game almost, it seemed, they looked outmatched. There were times during this season when they looked like they could be a Pac-12 football team and they could compete in the Pac-12. And you really could not say that uh, last year. So I think, I think you know, based on that, you look at a team that is completely improved. And when you look, you look at the position groups, you know, you look at quarterback, quarterbacks improve. You look at running back, running backs improve. You look at wide receivers, that's improved. You can go down the line. A lot of things that were improved this season, so I don't think that there's any even a, a possible argument that they didn't improve. Yeah, I'd have to agree with these guys. I mean, you look right off the bat. Last year we lost to CSU and Sacramento State at home. This year we took out CSU and we're 2-0 against 1AA schools. So right there you have you know, a pretty market improvement, 0-2 to 3-0. Um, you know, last year in the Pac-12 we were outscored 381 to 155. <laughs> So, we get, so the scoring margin um, was 25.1 points per game. This year we improved that to 23.8, which is small. But I, th I think the one thing that really improved this year noticeably was we were in games for a longer period. You know, half the Pac-12 games last year, the game was over in the first quarter. I mean, you look at we're leaving Arizona late in the second quarter. We're down 27-20 in the third quarter. You know, you're in that game. Down 40-29 to at USC late in the fourth. You're in that game. Even Oregon were leading 10-8 to at one point in the first quarter. Uh, even Washington, who ended up mauling us, that game was 10-7 to in, in the second quarter at one point as well. So it's teams eventually, yes, got to us. And, you know, we threw a lot of blowouts in the season. But I think we fought harder for a longer period of time in those games and made people play their starters made people actually work up a sweat and you know it wasn't a it wasn't a buy as you could say a lot of times last year for some of these Pac-12 opponents. That's a good start guys and uh, I think everybody presented some good arguments with the second question I know that was a, that was a lot of sunshine there so this question will be interesting are there staff changes that need to be made and if so who and where and we're going to start with Ryan on this one. All right yeah I hate to you know say that there should be a staff change made after the first year, but I think, you know, the way that this that this staff was set up was um, kind of done in the wrong way in the sense that, you know, you got Toby Ninas coaching the special teams um, just as a sole special teams coach, and I, I don't think that's the, the best setup for a coaching staff, especially when that guy is not a stud recruiter. And I think that's the biggest reason I think there needs to be some sort of change made there. Um, when you have a guy that's just going to coach special teams, if he's not going to be your stud recruiter, your special teams better be damn good. And the fact is, this year, the, the special teams wasn't that improved. Uh, Dar O'Neill has a worse season this year than he had last season. Last season. Um, Will Oliver, you know, he made a lot more field goals, but his percentage actually went down. So, and then you're looking kick returns, punt returns, nothing really stood out of that group. And when you're going to be a sole special teams coach, you have, that can't happen. You have to be able to show that there's a reason that you are that coach. Yeah, I mean, I would have to agree with you. I have three guys on the list for me that you could put on the proverbial hot seat. The first one I have on there is Gary Bernardi, offensive line coach. Honestly, I'm not even sure he needs that, that much expectation. We had a veteran group this year. There were, high, there were, I don't know about high expectations, definitely expectations that there would be improvement along the front. And really, you just didn't see that throughout the year. Stefan Nembot really didn't improve over the course of the year. You look at the interior of the line, and none of those guys really led like you would expect them to do. So that was a pretty disappointing start for me. I also had Ninus on the list, like I said. 
They're 101st in the FBS in kick return defense, 76th in punt return defense. Uh, he, he mentioned something that I had here, Will, and Derek both regressed as well, so that's not exactly what you want to see. The other one that I'm not really ready to say needs to be replaced, but he needs to get he needs to improve is Kent Bear. Uh, you know, the defense actually gave up more points this year than last year. Obviously, that has a lot to do with the fact that we were in games longer, um, but get, we have 44.1 points per game in the Pac-12 this year, and that's going to have to improve if we want to improve wins and losses going forward. You're not going to win a lot of games giving up that many points. I read this question, and it's not so much, not to pick on you, Ryan, but it's not a situation where a strategy should be better than, than uh, you know, what's in place. It's more after one season at Colorado, should Mike McIntyre make any changes? And you don't, you don't make any changes after one season when you've shown improvement overall as a whole unless there's one area that's just completely a disaster. And that's not the case for Colorado right now. Special teams... Yeah, I think Colorado fans, if they were, you know, going to have a lightning rod in this program right now, would be Tony, Toby Nice. But really, it was it was not that bad of a unit when you look back to some of the, the Hawkins years, maybe even under Embry, where there was just complete uh, issues on special teams, especially in coverage. You didn't see that a lot. You saw big plays made, and it was not necessarily – it was missed tackles more so than missed, you know, assignments, uh, you know, uh, a scheming issue. And I know Ryan Severson as a kick returner is a big lightning rod, but it's crazy to think as Colorado fans uh, who, who really went after him and special teams in general that they ranked third in, in the Pac-12 in terms of kick return yard, yardage average this season. So they really weren't that bad. Yeah, he didn't break the Marquise Mosley uh, run against Utah, which everyone wants to point to and say, why is he not back to returning? I don't know if Severson has that ability, but he does – gain some yards, and that really has not been a, a big issue for this team. I don't think you can uproot a family, bring them to Boulder, and after one year, when you improve as a staff, to say, we're going to fire somebody. I think that sets, sets a bad tone for your program going forward. Now, after year two, that's a whole different discussion. You want to see improvement, linear improvement, and so if that's not shown next year, then I think you have an issue, but after one year, you can't fire somebody. Wow, yeah. almost convinced me. I mean, that was pretty good, guys. Um, the third topic, and and this is this is one that we talked about before we came on air. Which position group on the Buffs overachieved the most, and which underachieved the most? And and I think there will be some interesting answers here. We're going to start with Tyler, and then rotate back through Adam and Ryan. Yeah, I'm going to cheat and kind of avoid the question here. I don't I don't think any positional unit overachieved. I think you could look at wide receivers. I think you could look at the secondary. As you know, they improved as you would have expected. Obviously, Paul Richardson had a big year, but not to not you know I don't think he surprised anybody really. Um, but I I, w- I did want to point out one specific thing that I thought the Buffs really improved on this year, and that's penalty yards. They're 22nd in the FBS, a huge improvement over the last regime, and something that if they can continue going forward, um, I, I really think you know that's that's going to help you win some games. You know, if you can not you know hurt yourself and make things worse for you in that regard. The most disappointing unit to me is, again, the offensive line. I think it was a real, you know, that's, to me, that's the most important position when you're trying to get better as a program. You can improve the run game. You can protect your young quarterback. It's the one thing that really needs to be, you know, it needs to be a staple of your offense. For me, you know, none of the freshmen that came in were ready to go right away, which is disappointing considering how below average the starters in general were. And I'm just concerned about that unit moving forward. Are we going to get enough improvement there to really take the next step as a program? 
It's position group. I wish it was just a specific position because middle linebacker, obviously, with Addison Gill, really surprising everybody this season uh, with a, a record 119 tackles as a true freshman. I think coming out of spring ball, everybody looked and said, I think Brady Day will overtake him once camp starts, and that never happened. He might have had a little lull in the middle of the season, but never really hit the freshman wall, had a bunch of tackles against Utah, really finished the season in fine form. And Derek, Derek Webb did not have the greatest senior campaign, but he was okay. And I thought Woodson Greer, playing outside linebacker, actually exceeded expectations. So when, it, when you talk about a group that <clears throat> overachieved, I say linebacker in general, I don't think any of us could have sat here back in August and said, this linebacker group is going to be as good as it was overall. Now, people might have expected Derek Webb to be a little bit better, but just in general, I think that group impressed. Offensive line, i got to agree, uh, agree with Tyler, especially from this, this uh, standpoint. All five starters started every single football game this season. How often does it happen for, for an offensive line? Almost never. And so the fact they had that continuity yet did not perform to everybody's expectations was largely, uh, you know, something that you could say was, uh, was a big disappointment. Um, you look at that group as a whole, they had a 65.7 plus play percentage. So, I mean, that, that is not a good percentage going forward for, for Gary Barnett, Bernardi uh, in this offensive line group. 17 penalties as a group. And a lot of those penalties were drive-killing penalties that they had, were false starts before the, the snap that really hurt them. And they only had one starter above 69% in terms of their, their season-plus play percentage. Jack Harris had an okay season at left out, not great by any means. But that, that group in general has to improve quite a bit. Now, in terms of freshmen... I mean, you can't expect an offensive lineman as a freshman to come in and play, but I, I think there are some guys, Jeremy Irwin, Sam Cronsage, I think there's some guys in that group. Going forward, I don't think that will be necessarily a, a, you know, a, a huge disaster area. Um, yeah, so don't, don't take me saying this as this group had a great season, but I think the safeties overachieved from what I expected from them. I mean, going, going into, into fall camp and watching in spring, those safeties, honestly, they made Connor Wood look like Peyton Manning out there. I, there was a time where I said, you literally all you have to do is just run straight on the Colorado safeties and you will get a touchdown every single time just throwing it over the top. And really when it came down to it, they did not get burned nearly as many times as they did last year or as many times as I expected them to do this year. You know, you got Jared Bell who finishes the season uh, in the top ten in the conference in interceptions. He was making plays and obviously Parker, he was injury riddled, but, you know, he was still solid back there. So I think... They they impressed me the most in terms of I thought they were going to be one of the worst uh, units in the entire nation, and they really didn't end up being that bad. And then underachieved, I'm going back to special teams. Um, you had two guys that had started since they were freshman year in, in Dar O'Neill and Will Oliver, and they, you know, you expect now that they're upperclassmen, you expected them to take a step forward and, you know, maybe even cement themselves as two of the best you know, uh, kickers and punters in the entire conference, and they really didn't. Both of them had pretty disappointing season. I think Dar O'Neill ended up around eighth in punting, and even though seven, seven sorry, whoa, even whoa, though, interrupting uh, here, <laughs> it, it was a fair interruption. Help, help, help. Okay. And uh, playing nice, Will Oliver. You know, he he had the praise of that he was up for the Groves Award at one point, but he really missed a lot of important field goals in the season. You know. He only ends up kicking 70% of his field goals, and that, that's just not good enough. So that's that was the most underachieving team. Well, guys, that, that brings us through our first word segment. And i, I got to say, I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised here at the scores. 
Um, we've got a tie at the top. Both Adam and Ryan have 14 points. Tyler Siskin has nine, not too far behind. Um, he's giving me a stare right now, but, you know, it's your own doing. Um, we're going to move on to buy or sell, and this is the first buy or sell is my favorite question this whole whole show. So I want you guys to bring it, all right? Specifically you, Tyler. If you're going to make a comeback, this is the time to do it. I'm afraid to answer this question. So The first question is buy or sell, and, and in terms of order, we're going to go back to the original, Adam, Ryan, Tyler. Paul Richardson is the best wide receiver to ever play at CU by yourself. I'm going to sell that. And first off, I'm going to go with the guy that I would put in that spot. And then I'm going to talk about more about Paul. Uh, Michael Westbrook is the guy that I would go with as the best receiver in Colorado history. Number two career receptions. And when you think about Colorado football, there, there's a handful of memories that really stick out. The miracle in Michigan is one of them. And this was not just, again, this was not a fluke play, just one play. Obviously, he was part of that play. That's what makes you think about Colorado football. But he made plays throughout his career, went on to the NFL, um, and had uh, 285 receptions in the NFL. Uh, he's the guy that, that I just, when you ask somebody that does not follow Colorado football, Michael Westbrook, you say that name, they're going to have an image in their mind. I don't know if there's one image they would have for Paul Richardson. They might know about him right now because it's fresh. But I don't think in, in 15, 20 years from now, that's a guy that everybody's going to remember. Particularly because, not really his fault, but just injuries. His uh, you know sophomore season being banged up, um, this past season being banged up and not playing. Uh, not this past season, but you know what I'm saying? Like in terms of that redshirt year with the ACL and just kind of being out of the mix for a while, then he comes back and it's what really wasn't on everybody's radar. Like, really he deserved, honestly, for how well he played this this past season. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, he's a great player. He will be remembered by CU fans. But you talk about just somebody that's not a Colorado fan. Paul Richardson's not the first guy that's going to pop in their head 10 years from now when talking about receivers with Colorado. Interesting. Ryan. Yeah, I disagree. I'm buying that. I think Paul Richardson is the best wide receiver to ever play at CU. And I don't think you can necessarily take one play from Michael Westbrook. Obviously, he had a great career. But I don't think you can take one play and hold that against Paul Richardson because he didn't catch, you know, a Hail Mary, um, you know, to, to beat Michigan. But I think Paul Richardson is the best almost because of what you said with injuries. With those injuries, with missing, you know, a season, with leaving for the NFL early, he leaves just a hundred yard, just over a hundred yards away from the all-time lead in reception yards. You know, in in a lot less games than the than who's in front of him. So I think that he um, he's the best for that reason. And I've I've never seen in my time watching Colorado, I've never seen a wide receiver who just gets behind the defense at will like Paul did. You know, it was very rare where you saw him run a deep route where he didn't get behind their wide receiver, and I, I haven't seen that out of any of the receivers that I've watched. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Adam here. I'd sell, I think him leaving early really, um, he lose the opportunity to complain that he's the best wide receiver ever to come through CU. If he had stayed, he would have easily broke pretty much every single receiving record in the history of the program. And while I think he made the right decision, it's disappointing from this standpoint. You know, it would have seen probably the best receiver to ever come through. Oh, yeah. I agree with Adam again. What Michael Westbrook, to me, would be the guy that I think of first. Uh, you know, he put up big-time numbers in an yeah. era of seed football where we were very legitimate. You know, we were on national television. We were get, we were ranked, you know, 
people, you know, it wasn't easy to play us, and there are other people vying for his position on the field. I think Paul had the benefit of coming into coming in here in an era where he was going to play right away no matter what. And honestly, his first two seasons here were pretty underwhelming. I mean, he's had injury concerns. He never topped 600 yards before the season. And despite the fact that he had a monster year, um, you have to do it for more than one season for me to really to really say that you're the best person to ever come through the program. There's another receiver that I would love to mention, but I'm not going to mention because we pretend that um, he didn't go to Colorado. So you might be able to look into it and figure out who I'm talking about. Say the name. See Ray Carruth. And he, and speaking of Adam earlier, who was talking about somebody being recognized as a face of Colorado, unfortunately <laughs> Ray Carruth is the one receiver from Colorado that everybody would know. But... Screw you, Ray. Michael Westbrook is the answer. Wow. Screw you is allowed on this show. I like it. That that was a heck of a round for Tyler there. I'm not going to lie. That was, that was a nice comeback. The last round of buy or sell, guys. Um, we're going to go Ryan, Adam, Tyler. Um, and that doesn't seem right. It should be Ryan, Tyler, Adam. Okay. Sorry I'll about go, that. Um, we're going to go buy or sell. Cephal Lufau will lead Colorado to eight wins in his career. And I say eight. Because, you know, you can get to a bowl game at 6-6. Six and 8-4, six. and four, I think, is where you really turn the corner and you really judge a quarterback. By yourself, Cephal Lufau will do that for Colorado. I'm going to have to sell that. And it's not as much a knock on Cepho is I think that Cepho is going to be a bridge to that point. You know, I think he can be the beginning uh, of that turnaround. But I don't think he can be the end. And I think... You know, he contributes to Colorado getting to a bowl game in his career, which picks up recruiting, and Colorado has a chance to bring in a quarterback who is good enough to bring them to eight wins who might overtake Sefo before he's out of here. So I think that he he has a lot of ability, but I think, you know, he as, even though he played as a freshman, he's not as far away from his ceiling as I think a lot of people feel, feel like he is. And so I think, you know, he can get better, and he will get better, but I don't think... He gets to that point where he can lead Colorado to, to you know, eight wins in the Pac-12 conference. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree 100%. From an analogy perspective, going from one win to four is like stepping over a crack. Four to eight is like the Grand Canyon. It's a totally different ball game. You know, you, you, you really have to, you know, put yourself from the bottom tier, the bottom two or three in the conference up to the top half of the conference, and that's a big step. I think next year is already – I don't think there's any way we're winning eight games next year. We have five, you know – it's just we're, we're not improved enough to really say that's going to happen in year two under Cepho. Year after that, we have five Pac-12 away games. That makes it pretty tough to get to eight wins. You know, it's a more difficult portion of the schedule. His senior year, we're going to have a chance. You know, we have the you know the benefit of five home games there, but we do play at Michigan in the non-conference, and so it's it's difficult to really say, yeah, we're going to get to eight wins. Even though we are avoiding Oregon and Washington that year, it's just. With, Eight wins is you, know, you have to be a totally different level as a program, and I don't think we're recruiting well enough right now to surpass the teams in the you know the middle portion of the conference. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to be the only one to buy this, and I'm going to compare Sefo to the basketball program, and he's going to be their Corey Higgins. Hmm. He's going to be their guy that was there at rock bottom, and is going to help them not to the pinnacle. I think eight wins. You know, Colorado fans right now will be ecstatic about eight wins, but. It wouldn't necessarily be the height of their fandom if they've been following the program for very long. And I'm going to be honest, Sefa was a guy that 
I thought had a little bit lower ceiling than I do now initially because he's not a he's not an athletic guy. He can't really make plays with his feet. But when he was very emotional after the Utah game, I saw a guy that has inner passion, inner desire. That is a guy that is going to help lead this program to the next step. I don't know if it's going to happen next year, but this question is great because he's a true freshman. He's got another three seasons to accomplish that. If it was next year, if the question was, will he lead them to a bowl game next year? I don't know, most likely. But eight wins, he's got another three seasons to do that. And I think over time, he will uh, be able to accomplish that goal. That Adam, you were, you were you needed a big round. I'm not going to okay. lie. Okay. You, were, you were pretty far behind. Okay. Because uh, Tyler really brought it in the last two. And, and guys, we are sitting at a three-way tie. <laughs> and, and what's funny is because before we aired the show, I said I knew what my tiebreaker question was going to oh, be. Wow. I feel like you did well. No, actually, everybody's sitting at 21 points. And I was, and Adam, you were one behind, but he is a true freshman. Yeah. Sefo is a true freshman. That kind of brought you over. And nobody else really hit as hard on that as they needed to. So I think that's a good point. No, no right. you can't. I just wanted to ask Adam a question about something that he said. No, no, that's okay. okay. Let's just have a discussion. Okay, no okay, points. okay. I got something to say, too. I'm curious what you're saying. When you, when you said Sefo Lufau can be the Corey Higgins. He's going to say the same thing I'm about to say. I, I mean, Corey Higgins is the all-time leader in points at, at Colorado. You know, to, he single-handedly, you know, became – that big, you know, and turned the program around, or was a big part of the. Do you think? I, I don't think. I don't think Sefo can do, beat Corey. Do, do you Higgins. put Corey? Do you put Corey Higgins in your top five buffs of all time for basketball? You'd be close. You can't. Yeah. You can't. Cody Hawkins has all these passing records. I know. I know. But that's. But. The reality was Corey Higgins was at Colorado in a time where Colorado was so god awful. There was and there was so much attrition. Nobody could score but him. So his records, I think, are inflated. But the role that he played, I think Adam really hit it on the head. Again, when he was on, you know, the team back then, he would be scoring, you know, twenty five points a game. Absolutely. No, I, I agree. Actually, you went a different direction than I expected to. I think Corey is a perfect example of why Seppo probably won't get to the eight-win threshold because he was so important for building up the program, but he didn't get to the NCAA tournament. It was the year after where That's they really, interesting. Where they really mm-hmm. took the next step. That's so, interesting. I, mean, I, like, I really like the comparison, but I think it's it's a you know it's a good yeah. you know good comparison for my argument as well. I, I, I think I think I, 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 agree I think with in the sense that they should have made the tournament. Yeah, no, no, I agree. You know, no, right, I, right. I totally do. I, agree. I think yeah. that's. I, I think him saying that you know he's going to be the guy that leads us to that eight-man program. I totally agree. I just I just don't know if we're going to get there in enough time for him. Right. That's an interesting I, discussion. I think guys. it'll be interesting to look back at the end of Zepho's career and see, did he start four years? You know, in the similar that's a, way. That's that, a whole question on yeah. itself. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, I think it's time for the tiebreaker. And I'm going to count these points towards your overall score. Uh, so make your points and know that they have ramifications as time goes on. What? Last week, did we, didn't we do like one sentence to answer the question? Or yeah. And I'm, and I'm going to moderate this. So, you know, let me do my job, little guy. Um, here we go. The tiebreaker question is, we're going to go from football to basketball on this. The Colorado Buffaloes just had a big-time win against number 6 Kansas on their home floor with a ski booker hitting a buzzer-beating shot. All of a sudden, they're in the AP Top 25 at number 21, and we're not discussing them today. But I want to get them in because this is, you know, I think this is a good way to not step on the toes of any other discussion that we're going to have about football today. Guys, the tiebreaker question is, 
Is there a better center in America than Ben Mills? No, okay. <laughs> no, the, tie, the tiebreaker question is this, and you get a total of, I'm going to give you 20 seconds, okay. a person, to answer this. So a little bit more than one, um, one sentence, but you got to make your points quick. The question is this, does Ben Mills deserve more than 10 minutes per game from here on out? And keep in mind that that includes the conference season. We're going to start on my left with Tyler and go across. Ready, set, go. I would say no, simply because Wes was out last night. He had an incredible game, and he does what he always does, goes in and does you know so much more than anybody thinks he can. But I think if you do it continuously, that production will not continue. And I think his role right now is perfect for him. Uh, he only uses 16 seconds. That's all right. Adam, you are up in three, two, one. Yeah, I think t- t- uh, you know 10 minutes a game is too much. And I like how Tad Boyle looks at this. It's matchup-based. If the team they're playing has a big guy where he matches up well, then you play Ben Mills 10 minutes a game. If that's not the case, don't try to you know, fit a, a square peg through a round hole. That's basically the way they got to look at this going forward. They have a, they're deep. They're, they have a deep team. Oh, he got in an extra point there that I'm going to give it to him. Because he made up for Tyler's lack of use of time. So you you got to push everything to the max here in the bonus round. Uh, Ryan, you are up in 3, 2, 1, go. I think, yes, he does deserve more than 10 minutes. And I say that because if he's playing more than 10 minutes, that means the buffs are using that zone more. Because he works in that zone, being at the bottom of that, you know, he can block shots and he doesn't have to go up against much more athletic guys than he is one-on-one. So I think if he's playing a lot, that means they're going to that zone a lot, and I love that zone, so I want to see them use that more. Wow. The question is, is zone a four-letter word for Will? The question is like also, it is for whose, minutes, whose minutes are you removing in order to get him that? See, I wish you brought that up. I wish you had brought that up. But we have another tie between Ryan and Tyler. I think, I think Adam... Barton took that round uh, by bringing up the matchups. I think that was a key point of this question. Um, this one will be one sentence because we do have to kind of get this moving. Um, give me one sentence making your best case for this question. Spe- the, bu- the Buffaloes. See, I want to ask you a question about Spencer Dinwiddie, but we'll do that on another show when we have time to get into this. The Buffaloes buy or sell are undervalued at number 21 in the country. One sentence. I'll buy it. There are not 21 teams in the country with a better resume than them right now. Um, I sell it. I think they're exactly where they deserve to be right now. They need to prove a little bit more. I mean, I want I want to... The reality is, is, Ryan, you didn't make much of a point. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest. A, I didn't have time to make a point. Well... Tyler, I think you brought up a great point with the resume. I, th- I think the res- bringing up the resume, even if you said, no, their resume isn't that good, we could have gone to another bonus question. Uh, but today, Ryan, unfortunately, he won the first <laughs> cut again, and I did not play on this, despite what you may Being think. The moderator is not it, it's not fun, you know, uh, but... I still think I did better than Adam in the Ben Mills question. <laughs> I'll remain I just, you can't give Ben Mills 10 minutes a game. There's, there's not enough. All right. Well, Ryan, thank you for participating today. I, honestly, I thought you did a pretty good job. I thought you did better today than you did last I week. I thought it was a pretty good show. A lot of people had great discussion. So, thank you for participating. Um, I need a water when you have a chance. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. 
Um, it is time for the lightning round now. And, uh, guys, we are going to the, the lightning round is one minute per answer. So you gotta, you gotta be able to keep it tight and got keep things together for this answer. And if you go over, I, I let you go over barely in the 22nd answer. And that's what kept you out of the tiebreaker. Appreciate that. So, you know, Ryan is sitting here shaking his head <laughs> and, <laughs> and maybe justifiably, frankly. Uh, so if you go over, I'm knocking you down two points. And if you go under, can we just get a fine. clear like signal though, and I'll stop talking? Maybe give us like a maybe five not. second. Yeah, yeah, I'll give that, you a five that, second. I'll give you, you a five second. Yeah. All right. Thank you. The first question of the lightning round Thank is, and we're going to start with Tyler because okay. um, actually we're going to start with Adam because Adam was the high scorer uh, coming into this lightning round. Here we go. Is McIntyre's recruiting right now good enough to get CU to a bowl game? Ready, set, go. Yes, and it's very clear. Bowl, bowl game means six wins. Colorado State is going to a bowl game this year. Obviously, playing the Mountain West, a little bit different. They're recruiting. If you look at some of the guys they're going after, you look at their film, they all have an aspect that makes you go, he's got ability to do this. He's got ability to do that. And I think this staff proved with Addison Gillum, Cheeto Bayo, Wuze, some of these guys, they have a good eye for talent. They can get that bottom line guy right now to go to the next step from a bowl game to eight wins like we were talking about earlier is a different ball game. But right now, the way they're recruiting, they're getting some good athletes. That That's enough to get them to that bowl game, to six wins. Right, he only uses 40 seconds. All right, Tyler, you're up. Ready, I mean, set, go. Assuming that this question is talking about in the next couple of years, you know, next year, and I think the answer is no. Um the, the main thing that we're going to have to do is keep an entire class here. For, you know, if we can get an entire class through through four, you know, four full seasons, that's going to be the big question mark for me. But you know, yes, they've proven they can get some guys that are under the radar that can be immediate contributors. Cheeto, Addison Gillum, those those guys. Um, but I don't think that's going to take you to the next level as a program. I think that the question for me is, with the loss of Paul Richardson, does this team improve next year, or do they regress? Uh, Paul obviously was a four-star player, easily our best player. Uh, we don't have any four-star recruits. We're not even really in on any four-star recruits right now. Um, and same thing with Jack Harris, our you know best lineman, I guess, compared to everybody else. Also had a four-star rating at one point. And uh, you need to have those guys to supplement the you know the improvement around them. You need to have elite talent somewhere on your roster to get to the next level, in my opinion. Good round, guys. Brian wants to chime back in. <laughs> they have a, a four-star visitor coming in next weekend, don't they? Oh, good point. That's fair. Lightning round. Moving on. Next question. Do next year's wide receiver group does I don't know how to say corp. So I'm just gonna say just do, do next year wide receiver corpse, whatever, have enough talent to withstand the loss of Paul Richardson. We're gonna start with Tyler this time. And uh, you are able to go in three, two, one, go. Uh, they have not proven it to this point, so I'm going to say no. I, I really like Nelson Spruce in that number two role, and I like D.D. Goodson. He's a very athletic guy. He has, you know, he's a you know, lightning guy out of the slot, and I really like them in that position. I think that's why we were successful there this year. We're really going to be missing that number one guy. I mean, Jeff Thomas, you see in practice, maybe has the potential to get there, but can he get on the field? At this point, you have to ask that question. Um, the freshmen have talent. There's no doubt about that. But I'm not ready to say that they're ready to move up and take that number one spot. And I think if you move everybody up, Nelson to number one, DD to DD to number two, you, you start to lose your you know, your matchup benefits in a lot of these positions. So you know, you saw in 2012 what happens when you have Nelson Spruce as your number one guy. And I'm not really sure that's what you want from this program going forward. Someone's going to have to step up. 
Adam, your chance to respond as well. The key word in this is withstand. It's not thrive with the loss of Richardson. It's withstand. Will they be as bad as they were when Paul Richardson had a torn ACL? Not even close. They're going to be much better. Nelson Spruce will be a junior at that point, not a redshirt freshman. Tyler McCulloch will not be on the other side. Bryce Bobo can play. He made a lot of plays on scout team this year. Jeffrey Thomas, if he keeps his head on straight, he's got all the physical attributes. D.D. Goodson can do well in that slot role. Tyler McCulloch won't be on the field that much. It's a different group than what you saw a couple years ago. Withstand is the key word. They will be okay. They won't be great. Um, I think in, in the fact that Sepulupov spreads the ball around is good with this, the depth that they're going to have at that unit next season. Nice answers, guys. Um, the next question is, uh, what position on the team is best set up? For 2014, and that's a little vague. So I'm gonna. I, I think you guys get the idea. What what position is is set up to succeed at least in 2014? We're gonna start with Adam here. Ready, set, go. With Paul Richardson leaving right now, Greg Henderson becomes the best player on the entire football team as a cornerback, lockdown corner. Made that transition to being being a playmaker corner. Now on the other side, Ken Crawley definitely struggled. Jeffrey Hall had a very good game against Utah in the season finale. He's gonna get competition. Akella Witherspoon just committed to Colorado yesterday from, from a junior college is going to be in the mix. Yuri Wright, Richard, he's going to be in the mix. You're going to have a lot more competition aside from that spot right uh, this coming season. I think that's a group that's going to be pretty good next season. Interesting. Only half the time, and he made a lot of good points. Tyler, you got to yeah, respond. Unfortunately, that was my response as well. So I, Greg Henderson, I agree, is definitely the best person on the football team right now. I think that really you have to focus on Chio Awuzie as the guy that's going to take the next step and really be a threat on this team. I'd, I'd expect him to play a lot more nickel with him. You know, they're trying to get him on the field as much as possible if they keep him off safety. And, you know, they, Yuri Wright is going to come back. You, know, you saw him freshman year. I think a lot of people would say he was better than Kenneth Crawley when he played as a freshman. Obviously, he had some growing pains this season, and we'll see how he's able to bounce back from that. But I... I think without question, cornerback is the most solid unit on the team right now. And if they can get a pass rush next year, they'll really take a step up. Good point on that pass rush. That pass rush point just got you back even with Adam. Adam, you had really overtaken him. That was a nice job on that round. And, guys, we are in the final segment of this show. It's the showdown round. And this is going to be big because the points are doubled. And I'm going to, I'm going to lay out the land here. It is tied. At 43-43, it's actually 33-33 because I can't count. <laughs> um, so it's 33-33, and points are doubled this round. So come with your, come with the facts, come with the numbers, come with the points, come with everything that you got because this is your last chance for fame here on the Around the Horn football version of Buff Stampede Radio. And the first question is, what was the biggest disappointment of the 2013 season? And Tyler, we're going to start with you. Uh, I'm going to get away from the offensive line conversation that we had earlier and kind of talk more on a general season level. I think the game against Arizona at home, for me, leaves the biggest, you know, the worst taste in my mouth as we go on through the season. But, you know, that's a team that we could have beat at home. We beat ourselves. You know, that to get improvement in the Pac-12 standings, we got to win home games. And that's the type of game that you need to win. And honestly, we did, it ended up not even being that close. We lose 44-20. to That's not what you want to see from a middling team in the Pac-12. You know, going forward, those are, we need to protect our home turf. Those are the games that you need to win. You need to compete, and if we want to take it, you know, move up the ladder, you know, to say you know, get a few rungs higher up on the Pac-12 standings. Those are the type of games that we need to focus on and lock down and win. Adam, like Tyler, I'm going to avoid the O-line because I think that's a, a big disappointment, and I'm going to uh, go with the single game as well. And I'm going to go with Utah. 
and this kind of contradicts the way I felt maybe after they beat Cal, because initially I go, okay, they're playing with house money at this point. You know, they, they might lose to USC and not go to a football game, but they still, you know, they've kind of, again, matched that 25-game mark in terms of wins that John Embry had in, in his two years. But there was that Utah game was very winnable as soon as Travis Wilson got injured. And especially throughout that game, there were just a lot of opportunities that they had with turnovers to really win that football game. And a win there carries a lot of momentum in, into the offseason. And 5-7 and seven sounds a lot different than 4-8 and eight does. And so uh, that Arizona game was, was very disappointing as well. But I just feel in terms of the general feeling of this program going into the offseason, a win in Salt Lake City would have done a lot more. Surprise, surprise, we're tied going into the last question. Um, He's a lenient moderator. I am a lenient moderator. I, I try <laughs> to do a, do a tiebreaker with hoops, I think. <laughs> Guys? All right, I'll take that. The last question, and, and this one is, this was debated on the message board of buffstampede.com all year. This was by far one of the most, I, I guess, heated topics because there are many ways to look at this. And really, I've just got to ask the question. Was Mike McIntyre's first season in Boulder a success? And we're going to start with Adam this round. Adam, you've got a chance to go for the win here. The way I read it on the production plan is, was McIntyre's first season a true success? That, that word true means a lot because relative success, I would debate anybody. Of course, yeah, it was a good, point. a good season uh, for Colorado under McIntyre. True Using the Arizona game as an example, when Mike McIntyre went into the post-game press conference, he was visibly upset. He expected going into these games to win football games. You spend all offseason, you prepare. Yeah, he walked into the situation knowing what type of program. As he says, you know, if they were great in the past, he wouldn't be here right now. So he understands all the challenges he faces, but it does not change the fact that you have seniors on your team. It does not change the fact that you go out there, you prepare these guys, and you expect to win. And the fact you don't go to a bowl game, whereas, you know, college football nowadays, six wins, it's not easy to get, but it's not exactly hard to get either. So the fact that they did not achieve that, um, now the Pac-12 is better this season. I think we'd all agree on that. But you talk about a true success, until you go to a bowl game, that's not a true success. And I think Mike McIntyre, the whole staff, players, everybody would agree with that. Tyler, you have the last voice of this show, and you have some room to make up here. Yeah, I actually agree with his definition of true success as well, but I'm going to take a different angle on it just for argument's sake. I'm going to say one win to four, one win to four is absolutely a true success. You know, sure, it's not exactly where you want to be as a program, but you have to go somewhere from up, and it's not reasonable to suggest that you're going to go to a bowl game after winning one game and losing every other game by what seemed like thousands of points. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that. I talked to my brother, and what do you know? In the, you know, he works for USC. If people don't know that, and what do you have to say about Colorado? Is they do good things, they just don't have good players. And I think that's important going forward because we have to expect McIntyre to bring in guys that fit his system, what he likes. Um, you know, and you have to think that, at least you have to hope that he's able to bring in better talent than the previous regimes have done. And so I would say this season is a true success. He set the, he set the foundation for improvement going forward. Um, you know, we saw improvement in a lot of guys, and we saw, we saw that his recruiting can bring in some, you know, some stud freshmen that people didn't see coming. So, it, you know, if, if, we, if we can continue on this linear path, I feel confident 
that um, we'll be in a bowl game soon enough. Brian, you are sitting right next to me. I want you to look at this. The second line is the points in that last round. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. You guys are tied. <laughs> and frankly, it really looked good for Adam until you brought up the brother comment. Sorry. You know, when you have the I inside like, track. I, I had to do it. When you have sources, you got to use sources. The brother from quote. USC comes through. The, the brother you Thanks, <laughs> Eric. Love you. So, we got to break this tie, guys, uh, because one of you has to get the FaceTime of two minutes uninterrupted airtime. And for me, I'm going to keep it football with this tie question, actually. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with this season, but you get 30 seconds to tell me why or why not Paul Richardson will be a first-day draft pick, which means first three rounds. Everybody on the same page yes. with this? First day is first round only, right? Yeah. First uh, day sorry, 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 sorry. I meant second day. Yeah, so we're going there we go. So, be third, and that goes up to the third round. Yeah. Second so, round. first, second, or third round draft pick. There are a lot of questions about Paul Richardson, injuries, uh, his, his weight, his overall production in his career, but there's a lot of upside. I want to hear your guys' take. I'm going to give Adam the floor first, mainly because he's my boss. You have 30 seconds. Ready and go. He will, he will uh, surprise a lot of guys at the combine. The only thing he's lacking from being a, a top two-round uh, pick, and I think he will be a third-round pick, is the physical aspect. I think he's going to be a Chad Ochocinco type player in the NFL. I think he's got that kind of ability. You, you look at the place he made with little help on offense, with no great quarterback throwing him the ball. I mean, Marquis Lee won the Blitnikoff with Matt Barkley. Parsonson did not have that. Yeah. That's a good round. That's a that's a very good round from Adam. Tyler, you have 30 seconds. Yeah, I would actually agree that he'll be a third-round pick. Um, I actually think, to me, he's more similar than Deshaun Jackson. Chad Ochocinco is not a speed guy. You know, really, you know, solid possession guy, caught everything. Deshaun Jackson gets behind the defense and makes, you know, he stretches the field and makes big plays. I think Paul Richardson has the speed to be able to do that at the next level. I think that's what he's really good at. And, um... You know, his physical attributes are going to be concerning, yes, which is why many people don't consider him a you know, first or second round pick, but um, he'll be successful in the NFL for sure. Winner today is Adam Munster Tiger. Boom. Adam takes the bonus round. Right. Adam, you got five points in that, or there four points in that bonus round to Tyler's okay. one. Okay. Uh, it, you know, it is what it is. I, I knew that was, <laughs> I, was I, I tried to call the second point, I didn't have it. So. But, guys, that was a really great uh, discussion today on, on the Colorado football program. Adam, you have two minutes of uninterrupted airtime to use as you please. Go ahead. Well, we are officially into recruiting season. Colorado hosted uh, 15 official visitors this past weekend. And there's always this controversy over the, the recruiting rankings. Everybody yep. is up in arms about who's a four-star, who's a three-star. The great thing about recruiting coverage now is there's video on all of these kids, every one of them that commits to Colorado. We're all armchair quarterbacks at heart, right? Yeah. So what's better than to see who committed to Colorado and check out their video and come to your own conclusions? Of, you know, the great thing about rankings is they create uh, discussion. But as a college football fan, don't worry about that. You know, Greg Henderson was a two-star. Rodney Stewart, on and on and on. Get on there, watch the film, enjoy knowing more about these guys before they get on campus, and you'll be one of the smartest people in Folsom Field. When, you know, the, the starting left tackle gets hurt, the backup comes in, you know who offered him a scholarship, you know what he looked like on film. It's, it's what makes being a college football fan fun. But do not get 
over you know indulged in this whole stars and all that stuff. And, and this comes from a guy that's worked for Rivals.com for the last decade. I I really do not see the obsession with that in terms of being a fan. Just watch the film and come to your own conclusions. Obviously, these are highlight tapes. It's not. Uh, game film for the most part, but have fun with it. That, and that, that's what I want Colorado fans to do. The, on signing day, look at the video of each of these guys and, and have fun with it. See, that's a whole debate unto itself. We could do a whole show on that subject, and we might have to do it around signing day. Yeah. You see my wheels spinning right now. <laughs> guys, me and our order always on the Starbs Matter battle. <laughs> guys, what a great discussion today on the Around the Horn episode of Buff Stampede Radio for Colorado football. Adam, congratulations on the victory. Uh, I think it was well-deserved. It was close throughout. I mean, even even Ryan, you know, a tiebreaker just to even get eliminated. <laughs> He's angry over you know, I mean, I thought, I, I thought everybody did a really good job today, and you know, I tried to moderate as best as I can. I, I was pretty lenient with the points at times, but... Um, I think, I think I tried to give everybody a fair shot. So, good job. Just I feel like the Russell Westbrook conversation from this weekend was <laughs> held against me. I hadn't even thought about that. You would have been definitely gone if I remembered that. But, guys, that is just about going to do it for us. We were here to the, at the Blake Street Tavern. We want to thank Chris Fusilier. It's actually his birthday today. So, um, you know, whether you guys are watching this tonight, uh, he's, happy he's birthday. He's in Vegas right now. $100 on black, Chris. Yeah, yeah never go red. Ever go red. No, never, never go never, red. Never, never. So uh, thank no you way. to Chris for this wonderful venue. Uh, thank you for you guys for your participation. Thank you to those that are listening. Uh, feel free to interact with us on these subjects because a lot of this is, is not done. You know, this, the bowl season is still going on. College football is still very much a part of the national landscape right now, leading up until signing day. But, of course, you got to make sure that you get in on a basketball discussion because there's a lot more to come on buffstampede.com. For all four of us here at the Blake Street Tavern, signing off here at Buff Stampede Radio, I am William Whalen. Thank you to Tyler Ziskin, Adam Muscle Tiger, Ryan Konigsberg. Thanks for tuning in to Buff Stampede Radio.